pages in a book don't show how a farm looks at sunrise, or how the shadow of a cloud moves across a field, or the way wheat whispers in the wind. Farm Comics. Welcome to the Farm Commons Podcast. This episode is Let's Have Lunch, Managing Food Safety Issues. This is such a huge subject, we could have eight hours of podcasts on it, and instead, we're probably not even going to be here for a half hour. But that's okay, because any attempt we made here to describe our nation's hundreds of different variations on cottage food law would be futile. Instead, we're going to talk about building relationships and managing risks related to cottage food production in the broadest sense. Then, when you're done listening to the podcast, we hope that you will check out our other resources. We'll talk about them at the end of the program. And just be forewarned, they're all free. Some states allow a wide array of sales of home processed foods with relatively little oversight. Many states give cottage food producers wide latitude to produce and sell various foods. But these allowances come at the cost of licensing, openness to inspections, and strict rules on facilities and labeling. A couple of states offer little to no allowance of sales of home-prepared foods. So there's a wide variety of laws. Nevertheless, food freedom is increasing across the country. Not everywhere, in a lot of places. Here are Farm Commons Executive Director and Legal Researcher Rachel Armstrong and Aaron Hannum. I'm Rachel Armstrong and I'm the Founder and Executive Director of Farm Commons. I'm Erin Hannum and I'm a Research Attorney for Farm Commons. Small farmers are concerned that there are too many regulations and that as a small business it's really challenging to operate and to figure out and navigate all these regulations that they have to comply with both at a local and state level as well as a federal level. These regulations are kind of geared toward the um, the bigger corporations and, the, and the, the bigger food industry. States are beginning to adjust food safety laws to allow a broader range of entrepreneurs to take advantage of food sales. A good market where people want this product, where we have a lot of uh, social and cultural knowledge about what good safe food is and a natural motivation to, to provide that. And that can be a really good thing for, uh, for farmers to diversify into um, cottage food production. Next, I want to introduce you to Bren. Bren has been farming and selling food in Wyoming for quite some time. My name is Bren Liskey, and my farm is called Patch Ranch. And I've been selling chicken egg for over 15 years, and I've been selling poultry meat for probably the last two years. We live 20 miles southwest of Laramie. We raise most of the food we eat, and I also sell a lot of produce. I don't sell it at a farmer's market. I sell it at something called a independent farmer's business and I have people that I just bring food into once a week and they come and pick up whatever it is that they ordered from me. It's a mini CSA but nobody has to pay up front. Despite Wyoming's reputation as a libertarian paradise, 
it wasn't always easy to be a cottage food producer in Wyoming. It's very restricted. I could not sell any canned goods. I couldn't sell any breads that I made in my kitchen. Everything had to be in a commercial, commercially inspected kitchen. I couldn't legally sell my chickens unless somebody came out to the house and bought that chicken from me and butchered it themselves. I was not, I could not butcher it for them if they bought it. But then something happened, something good for producers like Bren. In March of 2015, the legislature passed HB 056, and it's a Wyoming Food Freedom Act, and it really restricts very little. You can sell almost anything, any canned good, any homemade item. You don't have to have a federally inspected kitchen. You just have to let the purchaser know that the product is not licensed, regulated, or inspected. About the only thing that isn't allowed to sell is game meat or beef and and sheep or goat, but you can sell poultry and poultry products. Ultimately, though, not all states are this liberal with their cottage food laws, and in any scenario, you're going to need to be aware of the general risks and ways to manage them. Risks always occur alongside opportunities in cottage foods. Besides the fact that some states still heavily regulate it or ban certain parts of it outright, there are other factors that should make cottage food producers anywhere take note of their practices and account for those risks. First, regulations can vary widely across not only states, but cities and counties. For example, there are a lot of cottage food freedoms in the rest of New York, but not necessarily within the boundaries of New York City. That's kind of typical. Food safety in general, when you're looking at regulations, can be quite challenging because it is so state and local specific. So in general, health and safety interests and regulations are actually the domain of more local, state and local governments. And so the federal government can step in in certain circumstances, but for the most part, it's kind of reserved for the states and local governments to do that. And how that all plays out varies really from state to state and from county to county and can even vary from city to city. And so we look, we can definitely find generalities and themes that are happening across the country, but we have to really, when it comes down to what law applies and what the farmer in a particular county is going to have to comply with, that farmer needs to actually look into their own health and safety code. Not only are regulations hard to track, but there are a number of regulations and laws that aren't accounted for in the cottage food regime. Some folks take a look at the cottage food rules for their state and they realize, wow, I can produce jams, jellies, baked goods. I can do all these fun things. And my income limits are high. My, you know, my gross sales or whatever the rules may be are very, they're very permissive. And so this can be a really robust part of my farm. And they get very excited. And what they might not also realize is that there are other rules that affect cottage food operations. So cottage food operations are very specific to the food safety regulations that relate to the production of that item. 
But that isn't to say there aren't any other regulations, because there certainly are. Well, one of the big ones is zoning. You might be allowed to cook from your home under food safety regulations, but that doesn't mean your zoning code will allow you to do that. Depending on your scale, that might be equivalent to conducting a commercial kitchen, a commercial operation out of your home. Your zoning code can prohibit you from doing that. Another, uh, another example is employment law. You might be taking advantage of some farm employment laws that allow you to pay less than minimum wage or to not pay overtime. Now, most importantly, no matter where you are, no matter how much freedom you have to sell the food that you produce, you can always be privately sued if someone is sick or injured during or after the consumption of your food. This is true even in states with strong food freedom laws like Wyoming. You can always be sued. And then also you're still liable if somebody gets sick. The Food Freedom Act does not exempt you from being sued. Like other farming ventures, food production presents both benefits and risks. This is where our approach of thinking about both relationships and risk management becomes important. How can we fulfill our desire to feed people without risking that which is most important to us? is and how to produce it. Very aware of the risks of contamination and of making your customer sick. From a business perspective, people um, have an innate uh, concern with not making their customers sick and with maintaining a good reputation and providing a product that really offers uh, value. Let's begin by recognizing this. Those who grow and raise and prepare food have an innate desire for people to be healthy rather than sick. They don't want to be careless because they care about the people they feed, and they know they can't run a business when their patrons get sick from their food. Trusting relationships are vital. The consumer needs to know who they're buying from. They have to have a trusting relationship with their farmer. You know, um, I was at a, a bazaar this weekend, and somebody was selling a lot of canned goods, and I had no idea who she was, and I wouldn't buy from her because I don't know her. But she had a quite a following, and a lot of people do buy from her. And so I think that's the thing is that you need to have an educated consumer that's aware of who they're buying from and what practices that person makes. If she starts selling things that aren't good, word of mouth will get around, and so she won't have a customer base. So that's the relationship part. Your customers have to trust you. What about the risk management part? Well, consider these major legal risk management strategies. This list is not exhaustive. You should use the materials at farmcommons.org, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. First, let's talk about insurance. You're going to want to get a farm liability policy, but that policy might only get you coverage for raw products consumed on the farm itself. A commercial liability policy will give you some coverage off the farm and for value added as well as raw products, so check that out. And you're also going to want to look into things like event riders or event endorsement coverage or a commercial general liability policy if you have events on your farm. And check out our podcast episode on insurance to learn more about the insurance acquisition process. Second, Develop a food safety plan. Identify potential contaminants and pathways. Prioritize potential risks. Establish protocols and standard operating procedures. Monitor and verify those processes and write it all down. And expand your labeling efforts. 
maybe even beyond what your particular jurisdiction requires of labeling, and use lot number systems in order to quickly and easily track your batches of food if you need to. And make sure you know and take all of the precautions associated with the type of food that you prepare. When I um, bake bread, I make sure so I clean my kitchen really thoroughly. I have a standard recipe I, I utilize and, and just follow all those cleanliness measures. When I sell produce, I sell it as unwashed and I do not wash any of the produce I sell. Now, I might rinse a little bit of the dirt off the carrot or onion, something like that, but I sell it as unwashed because I expect the consumer to clean it themselves. Uh, eggs, I refrigerate immediately when I get them. Sometimes if they're dirty, then I do wash them the day of sale, but I don't wash them ahead of time. There are resources all over the web pages uh, and in your city and state health agencies, in your extension offices. There are entire courses on food safety, books, and videos. These procedures can be easy to do, but they require eternal vigilance, and you may need to educate yourself about them. Third, if you host on-farm events, from potlucks to larger events, do the following. Provide water, sanitizing gel, and adequate restroom facilities. Separate animal and dirty activities from your eating areas. And again, get insurance for your events. Fourth, comply, comply, comply. Comply with federal, state, and local laws, like the Food Safety Modernization Act and comply with laws applicable to your state and locality. We'll discuss resources to help you with this in a few moments. I mean, I would say a good place to start is to contact your local health department. Um, you can also contact the, the state department of health. They generally have a good sense of what the, what the regulations are, where they can find them. I mean, you can certainly do a internet search and try to find to the best that you can um, what, what laws may apply there. Um, Rachel often says, you know, contact your local librarian, your county librarian. Um, they can also often help with you in terms of finding what, what laws apply. We might be talking a city department of health, a county department of health, uh, local regulators. And the, the person who shows up to actually perform the inspection or issue the permit or, you know, certify the cottage food operation, uh, they might be coming from, a, you know, just an office a few miles down the road. There are multiple levels of enforcement and interpretation of these rules going on. And finally, perhaps a question a few of you have been waiting for. What if you live in one of these increasingly few states that still have extremely restrictive cottage food laws? Well, an, a recent article from Mother Earth News advises you in this way, and I quote, Get active with the cottage food movement in your state. Every cottage food law passed in the last decade has resulted from an initial individual citizen organizing others in their state to come together to get the bill passed with the help of the state representative who sponsored or co-sponsored the bills. The laws are inspired by the artisan bakers, picklers, or jammers just like you. End of quote. At Farm Commons, we agree. Get involved, join with others, and push for change. I want people to be able to trust their producer and know that what they get from me is a quality product. I, I take pride in that product, and so I want to do the best I can with it. I, I feel like it, it's a large circle. It's a cycle of life that we produce, and I like being able to sell to other people. That gives me the ability to go buy what I can't grow myself, and it also gives them the ability to have something that's locally grown. They may not have the potential to have their own garden.
or be able to raise chickens where they live. And I just, I feel like homegrown is much healthier. The, the eggs are healthier. The chicken meat is healthier. The produce has no chemicals added or anything like that. So it's an, I take pride in being able to share that with other people. So you're going to want to go to farmcommons.org, click resources, and then click food safety. You'll be in food safety heaven, and you'll know it's heaven because all of the materials on the site are free. You just have to register. You will see the working with regulators resource, which is Rachel's favorite guide on this subject. Folks need to know how to work with regulators. We have a guide. It is called Working with Regulators, and it's an extremely helpful resource uh, for understanding why. Why does it work this way? Why do we have local inspectors? Why do we have inspectors who understand the rules differently? And more importantly, what can an individual do about that? They don't like the way the, the, the rules are being enforced for their operations specifically. Well, where do you go? Who do you talk to? What are your options? And you'll see a video tutorial on food safety liability and regulations, including how to comply with the Food Safety Modernization Act. You'll also see an FSMA flowchart, indispensable for understanding how to comply with these regulations. There are a couple of more videos to watch, adding value without, add, without adding legal liability, and food safety liability and regulations for the farm. What about if you have a food safety incident? What do you do? Well, read our Farmer's Guide to Reducing the Legal Risks of a Food Safety Incident, and take advantage of our quick five-minute guide to farm value-added ventures, a quick summary that you can keep on hand. Everybody loves food. Nobody wants anyone to get sick. And in most cases, rules and regulations are really about common sense. The combination of your ties to the community, your relationships, and an understanding of how to manage risks, preventing and reacting correctly to problems, is the right combination for successful farm food ventures. And that makes my tummy happy. Thanks for listening. We have not and will not cover everything in these podcasts, and we aren't giving legal advice. Talk to an attorney if you have specific questions about your farming situation. This material is funded in partnership with the U.S. Department of Agriculture Risk Management Agency. Music comes courtesy of Huma Huma and Jason Shaw and Audionautics Music under a Creative Commons license. The executive director of Farm Commons is Rachel Armstrong. Our lead research attorney is Aaron Hannum, and I'm Matt Stannard. Want to contact us? Visit farmcommons.org and click contact. <laughs>